0: I'll tell you what, yesterday A little bit of a tough day for me Guys that are my age Were drafted into the National Basketball Association I mean, I laid in bed at night as a 6 and 7 year old And I dreamed of being Kobe Bryant and LeBron James And yesterday Guys reached my dream A little bit Unsettling for me. I mean, hey, I've got three years or four years of eligibility left to play in the college game, so I guess I can make a comeback. But still, I mean, Jabari Parker, Andrew Wiggins, they're 19 years old. They're my age. It, it, It makes you feel bad about yourself a little bit, but I mean, hey, I'll get over it. I think what'll make me feel a little bit better is Mitch Robinson joining us on the phone lines right now. He'll talk about that draft. Another guy I know, I know he had dreams of playing in the NBA. At one point, Mitch, how are you doing today? You doing all right? You're 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 recovering from from not getting drafted last night.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I'm recovering from that uh, long night of excitement, waiting to see who the Pacers bring into the roster, and then see they trade them for a couple extra bucks and lost a couple hours of sleep. But uh, more moreover, I'm having a midlife crisis, knowing that I'm older than these guys, they're about to make millions on millions of dollars.
0: Well, what's going on with Indiana franchises right now? I mean. The Colts, they traded away their first round draft pick for a guy that didn't give them much and then the Pacers, they had already traded around their first round draft pick and then they also traded around, or they traded their second round draft pick uh, last night as well. I believe that first round draft pick for the Pacers last night was part of the Luis Scola trade, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that was in the Luis Scola trade with uh, Gerald Green and Miles Plumlee they went over that way and that ended up being the... Twitter consensus name of the night with, uh, with I'm trying to pronounce it correctly, Bogon Bogdanovich. So uh, yeah, we Pacers could have had him, but uh, you know that, it is what it is.
0: I mean, hey, it's it's always tough uh, pronouncing those those international names. But um, looking back on it in hindsight, is it worth? I mean, Louis Scog, a, a guy in the front court for the Pacers, he he provided some depth for them in their regular season and playoff run. Looking back in hindsight, was it worth it to give up that that first-round draft pick in a draft that was this deep?
1: I think it was because the Pacers, they were and they still are in a win-now mentality, especially in the front office. And Scolo was a guy who's just been a starter his whole career and could hit a consistent jump shot. He was basically David West 2.0 almost. So he's not quite in the big muscle Uh, aspect of things but he can hit the jump shot and he was crafty in the paint so he's a guy that could give them some offense off the bench and I know some people think that that's been a failure to that trade uh, with the results of it because Scola kind of went off as the season went on or went down in terms of production Uh, but I think that it's still you know a process for this team and especially for the bench to mesh they're looking to keep most of their core and obviously I'd imagine they're looking to keep Scola Uh, that seems to develop a little bit more in his role So I think even though this was such a deep draft, uh, I think that was the correct play for Indiana to use. And I know that was a big key. Larry Bird didn't want to give up that draft pick. But I think in the end it's uh, what the Pacers needed to do.
0: Mitch Robinson, our guest. We're talking NBA draft here on SportstownChicago.com. He joins us on the Illinois Center for Broadcasting hotline. Well, the talk going into the draft yesterday when Joel Embiid was healthy, it was either Embiid, it was Wiggins, or it was Parker going number one. Embiid goes down with a fractured foot. Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker. That leaves them to decide who's going to be the number one pick. Ultimately, it's Wiggins to the Cavaliers and Parker to the Bucks. How surprised were you that the Cavaliers passed up Jabari Parker in favor of Andrew Wiggins?
1: I'm not terribly terribly surprised, really, because I mean, obviously, if you're on the Twitter sphere, you heard about it. You know, a couple hours so, ahead, they are sort of leaning that way. And I do like the pick for Cleveland. I think that Wiggins is a pretty good fit, and obviously his athleticism will work well with guys like Kyrie Irving. Uh, but if I were the brass in Cleveland, I definitely would have picked Jabari Parker without question. I thought that he was just a much more pure NBA-ready player, uh, and he showed really well at Duke. He was a guy who was just able to carry a team-winning you to, and an elite team at that with Duke, uh, something that we didn't see as much with Andrew Wiggins, perhaps because there were so many other options out in Kansas with the Jayhawks. But I think with Parker, they could have gotten a guy that would be an immediate impact player in a big way and in a bigger way than Wiggins. So I wouldn't have gone that direction, but I don't think it's a bad pick uh, for the Cavs. and I don't think they could have gone bad with either of those two guys in this draft.
0: Well, I absolutely agree. I thought it should have been Parker. It seemed like the consensus was that he was the safer pick, and like you said, an immediate impact in Wiggins. There are some questions about his offensive skill set, and I thought after taking Anthony Bennett last year, they couldn't really risk taking a guy that has a high ceiling and then doesn't pan out much like they did with Bennett last year, but Embiid, the guy, left uh, at third for the Philadelphia 76ers, who also drafted power forward Darius Saric, another guy with uh, some international flavor. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. I'm not quite sure. But uh, Philly took the risk on Nerwins Noel and uh, his bad knees last year. Do you think it was worth the risk to take uh, Joel Embiid with, uh, with, with his history of health problems with the number three overall pick? Uh,
1: there's certainly a risk to it, because, I mean, if you think about past centers that haven't panned out. The first one came from my hometown and his name's Greg Oden. Uh he you know, he's a guy that's just had injuries his whole career and, and B theoretically could have that, but theoretically he could become an all NBA player. And definitely he appeared like an elite college player ready for the big leagues. Uh but, you know, time will only tell on that side. And the seventy Sixers, you know, won't have either of those first two guys that they got for at least a year it looks like. Uh so Like I said, definitely risk involved, Uh, but I think especially with Embiid, I just have a gut feeling he's going to turn out to be a very good addition to the 76ers uh, or wherever he ends up in the NBA. I think he'll be around for a while, and I think he'll be effective for a while, so I think it's a good pick.
0: We're talking hoops with Mitch Robinson. You can catch him on Twitter, at Mitch Robinson underscore, writer here for the Nosebleed section. Doug McDermott, the guy that, drafted, that was drafted here in Chicago, the Bulls trade up from the 16th and 19th pick with the Nuggets to select him at number 11. I mean, in all world, in all class, college basketball player, he's a guy that shot 90% from the free throw line, 50% from the field, and 40% from downtown. Really a dream of a college basketball player, but how do you think that correlates into his potential to be an all-star or even a respectable NBA player?
1: Well, I think uh, first and foremost, he's going to bring something that Chicago desperately needs over the past couple of seasons, and that's offense. I've just been a team that hasn't had the offensive capabilities that you've seen in other parts of the league, and that's one of the real weaknesses. So I think that's something that he will be able to bring right away. Um, I don't think he'll be a starter immediately, but I think he'd be a solid bench guy that could hit a jump shot, um, almost like a Kyle Korver. now that I think about it. Uh, but the thing about what Thibodeau does up in Chicago, which even Pacers fans like myself have to admire, and I think anybody who's a true fan of basketball in the NBA admires, is that he gets the most out of their players on both ends of the floor. And McDermott, obviously known for his offense, I think he's a decent defender. He's you know, nothing incredible or anything to write home about, really. But Thibodeau will be able to make something out of that just because he's able to get that out of his players. And we... Just direct comparison, uh, we saw D.J. Augustine just think it up down in Indianapolis, and now he's up putting up big points and putting up big numbers and playing really well up in Chicago. So if there's anybody that can get that uh, kind of production out of Doug McDermott, I don't think there's a better guy in the NBA than Tom Thibodeau.
0: Yeah, that was really my concern with him, with Tom Thibodeau having a defensive system, and Doug McDermott really being an average defender, even in the college ranks. Can he get him to buckle down and get in a stance and play defensively? But I do really like that comparison to Kyle Korver. He played in the Missouri Valley Conference at Drake as well. Uh, you know, both both have similar skill sets, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how he pans out. But speaking of um, speaking of mid-major schools, the Mid-American Conference. Uh, both of us being at Ball State, they have not had a player drafted in 10 plus years. You thought maybe uh, McRae from Buffalo would go off the board late in the second round yesterday, but what's the deal there with the Mac? I mean, do we need to suit up and start playing in the Mid American Conference so that, that we can give the Mac a chance to have an NBA player soon? I, don't
1: know. I think maybe we could give ourselves a chance at realizing those dreams of being on draft night. Uh, but uh, you know, overall, the Mac hasn't been anything since spectacular over the past few years, which is unfortunate being that their Midwest kind of honing in area, especially with teams like Ball State, which they call Indiana home, and Indiana is such a big basketball state. So it's unfortunate from that aspect, but it, I guess it's just an ebb and flow of the game in conferences, especially in the mid-major conferences like MAC.
0: Well, I have I mean, I've seen you play in the rec leagues at Ball State, and I'd, I'd give you two or three stars in my scouting report. I, I, I could see you going mid to late second round.
1: I think you'd be a, an early second-round guy because you've got that Steve Novak jump shot and not bad handles either. So I think if either of us really put our heads down to work, maybe quit this broadcasting business, we could just hit the hardwoods for you know a few hours a day. I think we might be able to make something of ourselves.
0: We could. I mean, maybe come this fall, we'll have to we'll have to get the sneakers out. But last time we were talking about IndyCar. I know that's your forte. We are talking about the 98 running of the Indy 500, but... Uh, the indie Car season has carried on since then. Um, there's a big race in Houston uh, this weekend. What can you tell us about that?
1: Well, the interesting thing about it is it's actually two races. It's a thing that was introduced last year was doubleheader weekends, and there are three of them this year. They already went, ran one of them. Uh, it was the weekend after the 500 in Detroit. This one, obviously, like you said, going on in Houston. It's in Reliant Park, just outside of Reliant Stadium, where the Houston Texans play. And it's a neat little street course with uh, some nice passing opportunities, and it's really bumpy, really slippery, so the drivers are going to be struggling around there. Uh, and it's two races, which is a big physical, mental toll on everybody involved competition-wise. And then add in that you're in late June in Houston. Uh, so it's going to be brutal uh, for just about anybody out there. Thankfully, uh, for the series and for the event itself, the highs are, in terms of temperature, only expected to be in the low 90s. I remember I was over down in Houston a couple of years ago, about this time, and it was 105 degrees before it even hit noon. So it was that was miserable, and I don't think I would stay outside for an IndyCar race uh, if it were that hot. And you know, you know that if you're talking to anybody who's going to stay outside for something, it's going to be Mitch Robinson. <laughs> but um, it's definitely going to be an interesting event. Last year, it was the last event leading into the finale of the IndyCar season and Elio Castroneves came in leading the points and had a chance to clinch the title before going to the final race of the season. He had gearbox issues in both races, and Scott Dixon, who was in second place, finished on the podium in both races, ended up taking the championship lead and won the championship in Fontana two weeks later. So it's one of those events where if you have a good setup and a good car for one race, you're going to be good for two races. But if it's bad for one race, it's going to be a nightmare of a weekend for you. So teams, there's a lot on the line for teams this weekend, a lot on the line for drivers in terms of championship. Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting event, especially, like I said, when you factor in all the attrition and the conditions that are going into all this, from the heat to the double races. Uh, it's going to be a very fun event, and it's been put on really well and hopefully uh, we'll keep safe this year. Unlike last year, there was a big crash at the end of the race that ended the career of Dario Franchitti in the end. Uh, so hopefully this one stays a little bit safer. The promoters did a lot of work in terms of changing the track and to make it safer and make it uh, you know better for racing. So they've done a great job from that standpoint. Uh, I expect this race and this weekend will go over a lot more smoothly.
0: Mitch Robinson is our guest here on the Nosebleed section. You mentioned Dario Franchitti's crash last year, a three-time IndyCar champion. Really devastating to see him have to walk away. Uh, I mean, fortunate to see him walk away from the crash uh, safe, but unfortunate to see him walk away from the sport. You mentioned they made all sorts of adjustments to the track to make it safer, but as a driver, what adjustments do you have to make? Is it in the back of your head that that, tra- that, that, that crash transpired last year?
1: Uh, it's in the back of every driver's head, just because Dario is such a big uh, name and big personality in terms of the sport. Uh, he's, like I said, he's a three-time Indy Five Hundred champion. He won the championship, the IndyCar championship, four times. Uh, he's just a great guy that everybody likes. So uh, to see that sort of thing happen, you know, knowing it can happen to Dario, it can happen to anybody. It's that sort of thing. But as a race car driver, you put that away as soon as the, fire, the visor goes down and the engine fires up, that's something that you just put away and you go. Uh, and that can happen at any track. And there have been big crashes at road courses, street courses, and ovals, and they happen the least often at street courses. That just happened to be, that part of the track is almost like an oval because it's a very long right-hand corner that's very fat. So it's almost like you're coming off of turn two at any oval like Milwaukee, a very flat oval uh, up in Wisconsin. And so it... In that terms, it seemed almost like an oval accident, but it can happen anywhere. And so, as a driver, you basically just have to put it away and say, you know, it can happen, but you know, it's not going to happen to me. You just have to tell yourself that and put your foot to the floor and go. And that's what makes these drivers so incredible to you know witness is that they're so courageous. They know that every time they get in the car, there's a big, there's a real opportunity—or not real opportunity, but a uh, real possibility—that they could get injured in what they're doing, and yet they still go out and do it, and that's a real test of bravery that these athletes have.
0: I guess that's all part of the adrenaline of motorsports. But, Mitch, looking forward to that race this weekend. Also looking forward to kickstarting our NBA draft run at the 2015 uh, draft combine. So we'll get that started in the fall. But thanks as always for your analysis, and thanks for joining us here in the nosebleed section.
1: All right, thanks. I'm going to get some shots up. We'll see what we can do about that draft. All right,
0: I'll uh, talk to you this afternoon.